Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. And in this latest readout video based on our weekly newsletter, I want to say hello to our viewers everywhere, including the Faroe Islands, and say that I've come for your bees. Or rather, that climate change has. It's not clear why, raising the problem that a theory that explains everything explains nothing and cannot be tested. And in this case, not just because global warming supposedly also causes cooling, and more hurricanes as well as fewer ones, but because it seems to cause everything that you dislike, from a wave of beehive thefts in France to pitifully small salmon fillets in Alaska. Oui, où sont les abeilles d'antan, one might say. Because supposedly, quote, French beekeepers have been stung by a wave of thefts of their hives, which they blame on rising demand and plummeting honeybee populations due to pesticides, the Asian hormet, and climate change. And one might also argue thieves, especially as the French legal system apparently doesn't treat this crime very seriously. And admit it, you found the image of some voleur in mask and striped shirt trying to sneak off with a beehive and instead getting stung quite funny. But what's not so funny is that with all these other very obvious factors, including the importance of incentives, the story feels obliged, or entitled, to toss in climate change. As for the salmon, the story that ran worldwide eventually threw back not only that, quote, these disruptions are, for now, more a nuisance than a serious problem, end quote, but also that, quote, decades after the Atlantic cod fisheries collapsed, concern is now mounting among experts that wild Pacific salmon could face a similar fate, end quote. But one thing we know about the collapse of the Atlantic cod fisheries is that it wasn't due to climate change, so apparently this one is identically different. The story even eventually staggered around to the admission that, quote, Alaskan salmon are getting smaller partly because they're returning from the ocean at a younger age, though scientists don't really know why, end quote. But since everything bad is because of climate change, well, guess what? So is this one. Unlike that deadly Markley fire in California, which we now learn was allegedly set by a man trying to conceal a murder? No, of course not, because, another drum roll please, climate change causes increases in crime. And by the way, if you want links to these various claims, go to the blog and the items on which the readout is based do contain links back to the original sources. Now, one of the strange things here is that temperatures haven't increased by amount that anyone could detect without a digital thermometer in the last century. Nevertheless, it's meant to be sufficient to get rid of the bees, the salmon, and anything else you like, including now your dog. At least two authors in Vox say that Rex and Boots are, quote, gobbling up the planet, end quote and spewing the equivalent of 13 million cars worth of GHGs, poisoning rivers, killing fish, and pooping out a mountain of waste that would embarrass the state of Maryland. So you should get a slug or something. You know, not that climate change has become a hobby horse for a bunch of big government killjoys or anything, but they do want to force your dog to eat bugs and fungus. Them's fighting words. As normally is the claim that cutting CO2 emissions won't help, but this time it's not some shabby deniers in the pay of big oil saying it. It's President Joe Biden to a joint session of Congress. Quote, I kept my commitment to rejoin the Paris Accord because if we do everything perfectly, it's not going to ultimately matter, end quote. And his climate czar, John Kerry, told the president's virtual climate summit that, quote, even if we get to net zero, we still have to get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So this is a bigger challenge than a lot of people have really grabbed onto yet, end quote. Well, yeah, partly because it seems to be a moving target, partly because we don't know how to get CO2 out of the air, and partly because if we did, 
And if CO2 really is the control knob on the global thermostat, we don't know how to avoid a return to the cooling trend of the 1970s or even the 1600s that would kill off a bunch of crops and the people who eat them. In fact, we might even get back to that terrifying 180 parts per million of the last glacial maximum 25,000 years ago, just 30 parts per million above the level at which most plants die. So, as with Bill Gates' idea to reflect away sunlight, what could go wrong? And the upside here is they might just waste a bunch of government money and cripple the economy. But, but climate catastrophe, including, as Kip Hansen notes about the Covering Climate Now Media Umbrella Organization, the idea that the seas will rise 20 feet this century or more. And this isn't just a bunch of nuts raving. As Hansen points out, quote, The Covering Climate Now propaganda effort was co-founded by the Columbia Journalism Review and The Nation in association with The Guardian and WNYC in 2019. CC Now's 460-plus partners include some of the biggest names in news, end quote. Who now apparently think the job of journalists is to speak power to truth, not the other way around. And actually, despite what I just said, they are in fact nuts, raving about the oceans rising, quote, three feet by 2050 and much more to come, end quote. And it turns out that much more includes getting CC Now crib sheets from Catherine Hayhoe, instead of doing real journalism, like questioning the CC Now climate emergency statement that, quote, humanity must take action immediately. Failure to slash the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will make the extraordinary heat, storms, wildfires, and ice melt of 2020 routine. It's not all bad crazy, though. Amid the wild claims, including those about fraud and conspiracy, which come from both sides, and which CDN resists firmly from both sides, we want to note that the environment executive editor Robert Kunzig at National Geographic, a publication we often ridicule for its climate extremism, just wrote a very calm, balanced piece promoting nuclear energy. Starting with his credentials as a youthful anti-nuclear protester, and moving on to the point that while nuclear has risks, it, quote, has a tiny footprint, like wind or solar power, end quote, and moreover, quote, its footprint on the landscape is far smaller, end quote. Then he concedes, quote, nuclear has an Achilles heel, it's expensive and takes a long time to build, end quote. But then he raises a point that is very often not just overlooked, but trampled with irrational abandon. Quote, if you just look at the numbers, nuclear is pretty safe. Far, far fewer people have died from it than from the air pollution produced by burning fossil fuels, end quote. And then Kunzig shows us what some of this famous toleration we keep hearing about might look like in action. Quote, It's not irrational for some people to prefer energy sources that don't carry with them the tiny but ever-present risk of catastrophe, or the need to bury long-lasting toxins in a deep hole for our descendants to discover. Just as it's not irrational for other people to prefer not to see a wind farm on the ridgeline outside their back window. Many roads lead to freedom from carbon pollution, all of humanity doesn't have to choose the same one, we just all need to get there somehow, end quote. Well, maybe not. Maybe carbon isn't pollution. But if we were discussing the issue, the science and the policy options, in the tone of Kunzig's piece, we'd be having a much less unpleasant and much less unproductive conversation than we currently are, including over the infuriatingly slippery question as to when the climate catastrophe is meant to hit or to have hit. Some alarmists say it's coming, but it is a few decades off. Others say it's right around the corner, or that it has now struck. And yet others, believe it or not, say it hit decades ago and we were just too dumb to notice. And again, how can you test a theory whose evidence is so unstable? Again, courtesy of Kip Hansen, that CC Now Journalist Alarmist boilerplate service statement, quote, the climate emergency is here. To preserve a livable planet, humanity must take action immediately. Then you get that bit about 
failure to slash the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and a warning that it could, quote, render a significant portion of the Earth uninhabitable, end quote. Got that? The catastrophe was here last year, with extreme weather destroying your house. Though rather slowly, we suppose, because two decades ago, the now former leader of the Canadian Green Party, then executive director of the Sierra Club of Canada, Elizabeth May, wrote in Policy Options, that was December 2002 to January 2003, quote, One of Canada's most distinguished and conservative scientists, the late Dr. Ken Hare, was the first expert to stake his reputation on the fact that climate change was already upon us, end quote. And it's not just Ms. May. On February 28, 2003, the Ottawa Citizen informed readers that the weather had been terrible for decades thanks to humans. Quote, the economic toll of floods, droughts, and other weather-related disasters has increased almost tenfold in the past four decades, end quote, meaning it started around 1963. And then there is, at the time, UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, in a commencement address to Tufts University's Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, May 20, 2001. Quote, Imagine melting polar ice caps and rising sea levels, threatening beloved and highly developed coastal areas such as Cape Cod with erosion and storm surges. Imagine a warmer and wetter world in which infectious diseases such as malaria and yellow fever spread more easily. This is not some distant worst-case scenario. It is tomorrow's forecast, end quote. And as Bjorn Lomberg notes in his book False Alarm, pages 27 to 28, in 1989, the head of the UN Environment Program said we had three years to, quote, win or lose the climate struggle, end quote. And apparently we'd lost it big time. In the face of all of this, a reader reminds us that Anthony Watts had asked back in 2014, quote, when did anthropogenic global warming begin, end quote. And we need to know. And if the science is settled, we need one answer, not 14 of them. Because how can we test a theory that says humans have been warming the planet for years if we can't know how many years, how much CO2 was required, how sensitive temperatures meant to be to atmospheric CO2, or much of anything else? As Watts pointed out at the time, alarmist Phil Jones of the University of East Anglia's ClimateGate Climate Research Unit had told the BBC in 2010, quote, As for the two periods 1910 to 1940 and 1975 to 1998, the warming rates are not statistically significantly different, end quote. So what scientific ground exists for yelling about man-made CO2 and doom about the second trend, but not the first? Or don't you need that science rubbish anymore? Let's find out. Because our Dare You to Post It on Facebook feature this week said, quote, Newsflash, warming isn't making the climate more extreme. It's probably making it less extreme. Anyone who says temperatures are getting more extreme is peddling fake news, end quote. Well, that could land you in hot water. But it's a paraphrase of the 2013 IPCC report on managing risks associated with extreme weather, chapter 3, page 124. Quote, if there was evidence that temperature variations in a given region had become significantly larger than in the past, then it would be reasonable to conclude that temperatures in that region had become more extreme. But according to this approach, daily temperature over the globe may have become less extreme, because there have generally been greater increases in mean daily minimum temperatures globally than in mean daily maximum temperatures over the second half of the 20th century, end quote. Now, if a brawl with a social media giant is too exciting for you, how about a study courtesy of CO2Science.org about the fact that nanotechnology regrettably needs to nano-sized heavy metal pollution, in this case very small bits of mercuric oxide that are not good for plants. But, you saw this coming, right? Higher levels of CO2 help protect plants, specifically maize in this study, even from that guck. What's more, also from CO2Science.org, some good news about CO2 in Edo, which, if you're not familiar with it, is Colocasia esculenta. 
<laughs> and if that doesn't help either, it's, quote, the most widely cultivated taro crop in Japan, end quote. And it seems that it and rice like CO2. It almost feels like there's a pattern here if I could just put my finger on it. And yes, it's the one where I wrap up by saying for the climate discussion next, I'm John Robson, then ask you, in whatever part of the world climate change is stealing your bees, to subscribe and send us honey.